The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Hi, and welcome to It's Relatable on MindBodySpirit.fm, where we talk about all things relationship. I'm your host, Carrie O'Driscoll, and I'm so happy you're here. Get comfortable, and let's dig in. Karen Gross is an attorney and entrepreneur with a background working in social justice issues. Raised in El Paso, Texas, she moved to Austin to attend the University of Texas and earned a law degree from the University of Houston Law Center. Early in her career, Karen served as policy director for an Austin City Council member, and this work helped her appreciate the transparency of local government and instilled some faith in democracy. After law school, Karen served as community director for the Austin Anti-Defamation League, where she oversaw the launch of the Austin Hate Crimes Task Force and the expansion of their school-based anti-bullying campaign. This work introduced her to the power of restorative circles and storytelling as a tool to build connection and overcome stereotypes and bias. And today she uses those skills as a pardon and clemency attorney, helping her clients appeal for mercy and forgiveness. For the past few years, Karen has focused on the question, how do we reduce polarization in society? To this end, she founded an organization called Citizen Discourse, which is a training company facilitating learning experiences that are designed to foster community, culture, and emotional intelligence skill building. She believes this work will change hearts, minds, and someday systems. There we go. All right. Hi. I'm so excited you're here, Karen. Hey, Carrie. Thrilled to have this conversation with you. Um, so I'm just, let's just dive right in. I want to, this, as you know, this podcast is about all things relationship and all the different kinds of relationships we have in our lives. And you are the founder of an organization called Citizen Discourse, which I think is really different and innovative and is seeking to create relationship in a lot of different ways. Um, I think it's pretty visionary. And so I, um, I would love it if you could um, talk to us a little bit about um, your particular like educational background and like where, you know, where where you came to this idea of citizen discourse. And then we can kind of flesh that out a little bit as we talk. Okay. Well, it's really fun to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. Um, and I was thinking when you were originally introducing Citizen Discourse, that in a way, the organization is inviting people who interact with us to think about their relationship with their self, their relationship with the other, and their relationship with like society or the collective. Mm. Um, so it's really kind of trying to navigate all three because in order to be capable or you know prepared to show up in society mindfully, you have to do work on like your relationship with yourself. Right. And the best way to do that, I think, is creating space in community. Yeah. Building relationships and having the opportunity to, you know, mirror back or invite wonder in conversation with another. Yeah. Um, but I am not a counselor, although it may sound like I'm playing one on TV. I went to UT Austin for college mm -hmm. and I studied political science and history and women's studies. And I, um, in terms of my education, I then earned a law degree from the University of Houston. And yeah, I mean, both like for me, undergrad was like the value of my undergraduate education stems more from the extracurricular activities I involved myself with versus the in-classroom rigor <laughs> of the, of the like liberal arts education. Um, and then in law school, you know, I feel that it did a good job of helping train me how to think or to think in a certain way about things, which I think in some contexts is helpful. Yeah. And others, maybe not so much. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, cool. So I'm, I want to jump a little bit on to <laughs> one of the words that you mentioned a couple of times was mindful. And I know from, um, working with you in citizen discourse that that's a big cornerstone of what what you do and what you talk about so for example citizen discourse has a relationship with the charter for compassion right and there and karen does these weekly calls twice a week with folks from whoever wants to come from all over right and and this partnership and and one of the very first practices is mindfulness it's this sort of like arriving where we are right in this moment and then being prepared to to engage in conversation with other people and so i love that you described the sort of three different kinds of things you know your relationship with yourself and your relationship to other and then relationship to the larger community because that really plays out in those weekly phone calls and um i would love to know how you kind of worked out the format for those where did that where did that idea come from um when i'm when i'm preparing a conversation or a gathering for citizen discourse i'm trying to create an experience and you know where you 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 show up and then you leave feeling better than how you came. Mm-hmm. And I think when I imagine, you know, creating an experience, the first step is, well, no, I wouldn't say this is the first step, but in terms of when we show up, right. when we show up in community, really getting embodied and taking a moment to get out of that headspace that we so often live in and ideally drop into you know, your heart center so that when you're engaging in the space, in this conversation, you're present and you're aware and you're actively practicing your listening skills, which actually takes intention. Listening is... um, Being a good listener requires some awareness and intention and focus. And so by bringing in some mindful some mindfulness at the front end, ideally we're seeding the, you know, the the conversation in a way that people are more prepared to show up as themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my journey, so citizen discourse, just say back up a little bit. Um, and it is so fun to connect with Carrie and with folks from around the globe twice a week with our conversation collectives. And I feel like through the journey, I've gotten to know Carrie and some other really special, compassionate people so well. So it's such a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're fabulous gatherings. <laughs> it's really sweet. Um, and it's just a nice reminder that there are other people out in the world interested in growth and interested in connection. Yeah. Um, and it's been a nice way for me to, as an entrepreneur and as you know, a creative person to experiment with different topics and with different mindful mindfulness practices in a space where people are kind of open and receptive. Um, yeah. the, the words citizen discourse to me is sort of a call to action. So the organization is kind of a call to action saying if citizen is equals human, Mm-hmm. It's a great equalizer to me. I think that word can be reclaimed. Mm-hmm. It should be reclaimed. It should, to me, really represent sort of a, a way of showing up in society and in your life that aligns with your values. Mm-hmm. And then discourse is that exchange of expression, exchange of ideas. So when you put it together, it's this like purposeful way of engaging in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That is kind of the theory of change for citizen discourse, or the, at least the call to action. The theory of change draws from you know these different practices that I've been collecting, and I I think of myself of it as a as a collector of ideas, mm-hmm. and so I've drawn from restorative circles, and I've drawn from the research around growth mindset that when you, you know, we have the capacity in our brains to create new neural pathways so we can grow and we can learn skills. We can become better listeners. We can develop our empathy skills if we create space and 
healthy patterns to do so. So Mm -hmm. I feel like I've just been collecting the great ideas of other smart people. And I organized these great ideas in these, you know, evidence-based practices, Mm -hmm. such as the act of expressively writing two to three minutes can not only help you process your thoughts and feelings and help you think through things, but it also helps you calm your nervous system. So practices like that. So I just sort of collected and then wove them together into a process Mm -hmm. that essentially leads to about 75 to 90 minutes, like a 90, 75 to 90 minute workshop or conversation, basically a scaffolding. Um, a scaffolding that creates a container for people to connect and to feel safe, psychologically safe, mm-hmm. so that they can be vulnerable and build and connect and grow. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. It's really fabulous. These um, twice weekly conversations are, it's amazing how quickly you can connect with another person, right? And how the depth of the conversations that you can have and, just the, you know, it's simple, right there. It's a 75 minute phone call mm-hmm. a week. And most people come once a week, but I'm addicted. So I go twice a week. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's just amazing that, you know, the, the stuff that can come out and, and like I said, the depth of the conversations that we can have with people from all over the world with people, you know, different backgrounds and ages. And, um, and I really love, I'm, it's become, sort of a bookend for my week of, I look forward to um, every week. And so, but I'm curious, have there been, since you started these kinds of things, because I know you don't only do this with the Charter for Compassion, you do this with students, you know, you do this with organizations, you do this with government agencies. Have there been any surprises for you? Anything where you were like, oh, wait, this worked out way better than I thought, or we're going to have to shift this a little bit. So the first, honestly, like the very maybe second time I facilitated a citizen discourse session with a group live in the flesh, um, I was so nervous, particularly because it was a group of formerly incarcerated men Mm -hmm. and cops in Baltimore. Wow. Um, That's like... (laughs) That feels really powerful. And for the listeners, just some context. In addition to this work I do with Citizen Discourse, I'm a lawyer and I I have a pardon and clemency practice. And um, I used to, you know, be like a boots on the ground criminal defense attorney in Austin. And I was like drawn to this work because the more I learned about how racist our justice system is, I felt like this was a cause of a generation and I wanted to find my own little way to contribute to reforming the systems. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I originally started practicing criminal defense in Texas, I was very interested in restorative practices Um, because I had been a witness to a circle with victims of hate. And so I was able to help hold space and also witness how powerful relationships can transform when there's um, structure and intention. Mm. Um, And so fast forward, here's this opportunity to, you know, build relationships. Just almost even connects, you know, my work to this demographic. And so it was, you know, here I am and I am a white woman and my name is Karen. Um, <laughs> and I do practice yoga. So I, I fit some stereotypes and, you know, I was originally really all about like, we have to create the vibe so that the, you know, the room feels good. And I walk into the room, it's like at a community center in Baltimore with like, pretty poor lighting and very uncomfortable chairs and like no vibe. Mm. Okay. You know, here we go. You know, and honestly we started with a mindful moment and I was really quite nervous because again, I'm the only, you know, woman and white person in the room. And I'm like, who am I, you know, what standing do I have to do this work here right now? But yeah, I was invited. And so 
And so after the mindful moment, I sort of like quietly and awkwardly raise the question, does anyone here practice meditation or have a meditation practice? And like one of the police officer's arms shot up in the air and was he like enthusiastically talked out like how he wakes up in the morning and does affirmations and whatever it was, you know? Mm. And it just sort of like, it opened everybody, it kind of cracked the ice, so to speak. Mm. And what happened over the next, you know, hour and 20 minutes was just a lot of like heart to heart connection. And it was almost like I wanted to blend into the background because I didn't, you know, want my presence to detract from the experience they were having, but it was an opportunity for me to get to appreciate the power of the process. Wow. Wow. That's really, yeah, that sounds incredibly powerful. Um, And so two things I want to touch on. The first one is I think that's part of why I wanted to do this podcast is I think and and part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is I think that there's such an importance to having open dialogue, to having spaces where we can practice that and that are set up specifically for having open conversation with other people, especially people that we wouldn't normally talk to, right? Mm-hmm. Um And so I would love to hear what, you know, like, have you had those before you started Citizen Discourse? Did you have opportunities to have those kinds of conversations or, or were there things, were there, you know, conversations in your life that were kind of game changers for you with that were unexpected? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I, so I think you could categorize me as like a lifelong camp counselor. <laughs> I was a camp I was a camper. And if you for those, you know, shout out to the campers out there. It's just it's a way of being, I think. Um, just a zest. And as a counselor, you're kind of like constantly wanting to like create a sense of belonging, connection, and sort of like icebreakers are the norm. And so my friends laugh because I'll be the one at the dinner table being like, okay, let's all go around and share something, you know? But I think sort of like forced connection sometimes is required in the era that we're living in, you know, where our default is looking at our cell phones and, you know, that numbing ourselves almost on social media. Yeah. Um, In college... I got very interested in, you know, bringing students together for the exchange of ideas. And so we experimented with different formats. Mm-hmm. There was a crossfire where it would be more of a debate. Or we did a soapbox series where we had a mic on the West Mall and just students were invited to just like talk about what was on their mind. Wow. So I think I've been like unconsciously or subconsciously, I don't know which one it is, um, in pursuit of the the formula for connection. Yeah. And I'm coming at this not like red and blue or, you know, coming together to overcome division. Honestly, that's not the lens. I think the more we shed our labels and the more we just create a space where we can show up as humans or as citizens as like that in that very broad definition of the word, the easier it is for us to be reminded of our shared humanity. Like yesterday we had a conversation collective, which you were at, right, Carrie? Yep. And it was an intimate conversation and we were exploring the topic of boundaries both as the setter of the boundary, but really also focusing on the settee, like the person who's having the boundary set yeah. for them. And what was kind of interesting is we had a very diverse you know, age range and some people from different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And yet that question still resonated. So this isn't a red or a blue thing. It's not a black or a white thing. It's like a human thing. Right. And that's really what inspires me is, you know, shedding those arbitrary labels and just creating a, yeah. a really lovely container for connection. 
Yeah. And I, I love that too, because it's, it's true. Like the, the prompts and the topics that you come up with are always, it doesn't matter who's in the room. Right. So I had a conversation yesterday with someone who was not a parent and I was looking at it through the lens of like, Oh, when my kids would set boundaries with me, what does that feel like? Right. And this person was like, well, I'm not a parent, but here's this thing about what you said that feels really relatable to me. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so we're able to have these really fabulous conversations. And you, again, we know part of your emphasis is really on that active listening. Mm -hmm. And there's something about like knowing, okay, for in this particular space, it's my job to really key into what the other person is saying and how they're saying it and and kind of dig a little deeper. So like, wait, what does that mean? And I always come away from those conversations having learned something because there's there's enough of a Venn diagram there that we've got mm-hmm. some things that are relatable. And also then everybody has their own unique perspective, right? Absolutely. Um, and it's just kind of magical. So the other thing that I wanted to touch on was you said um, something about bearing witness, right? And I think that that's really, really important. And I would love it if you could sort of unpack that concept a little bit and then explain why you think it's a really important practice for us to bear witness for each other. Yeah, I think that... So when I was in high school in El Paso, Texas, I was... Um, at the time of my, I think it was my senior year, I was president of my Jewish youth group and my synagogue offered to send me on a program called the March of the Living. Mm. And it's a pretty intense program. Like they prepared you with like a lot of information on the front end and just almost like psychologically preparing you for the journey because Mm. you start in Poland and really the the major part of it's a two week program and um, the first week you're traveling around Poland and you're sort of bearing witness to what happened during World War II. Mm-hmm. And you're traveling with um, Holocaust survivors. Wow. And actual march is from Auschwitz to Birkenau, which is, I think, roughly a mile and a half. Mm-hmm. And they had us lined up by country about 6,000 Jewish teenagers from around the world marching out of Auschwitz in silence and then into the next place we were singing. It was very powerful and moving, but the most and important, I feel like it was important for me to see like what happened there. Um, But what was, I think what left the, the greatest impression on me was witnessing these survivors go back and, and like experiencing it through their eyes. Yeah. And, you know, feeling like my job going forward was to help, you know, be a messenger or at least to carry their story with me. And then I had another powerful opportunity to bear witness when I was in the restorative circle with victims of, of hate and just to be the space holder And each of those stories leave an imprint on me. And I think that's the case, right? You know, when we connect with someone and we hear their story, it stays with us and it like informs us. Yeah. And when I, the real seed of citizen discourse stemmed from, or a citizen discourse stemmed from a seed around wanting to bear witness and and share the, and share what I saw. And so I started CD as a blog and I just like kind of pretended to be a citizen journalist and I would go to things and I would witness and then I would write from my perspective, my perspective as, you know, a Jewish American, my perspective as a lawyer, my perspective as a witness bearer, as an activist, as like someone who believes in the fourth amendment and the first, you know, et cetera. Mm, And I wanted to create something that not only boosted what you know I wanted to share in the world, but also was a space for other people to have their voices heard and have their stories told. And I think at the end of the day, the way we get out of this divisiveness is creating more space for 
this kind of human connection. Mm -hmm. And part of the connection comes when someone is holding the space and bearing witness. And you artfully described this um, the other day when you you know, we're describing a drum and how in order for a drum to really make sound, you need two parts. You need the cover and you need the container. And together, you know, there's a reverberation or a resonance. And I love that. I think that's right. Um, and so I invite, you know, all, all of us to think about what's, where can we, you know, hold space and where can we bear witness more, um, which helps us show up as, you know, whether it's ally or accomplice, but shows up as more caring, compassionate, you know, people in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I love that drum or the guitar analogy, because I think a lot of us are like, we aren't taught what it is to bear witness. We aren't taught to hold space for each other, right? We have this, this sort of inherent discomfort with witnessing somebody else's suffering. And, and what most of us tend to do is like want to fix it or change it or minimize it or it there's this kind of frantic quality to or we or we turn away right because we can't like mm-hmm. it's too much and um and in some cases you know we can help we can fix we can shift mm-hmm. something but in most cases the most profound thing we can do is just create that safe space for someone to experience whatever they're experiencing. And so, yeah, I love the the drum analogy because, yeah, you stretch that skin out between just my two hands mm-hmm. and you can thump it and it'll make a tiny little noise, but you put it over the top of this beautiful container, whether it's, you know, metal or wooden or whatever. And all of a sudden there's a resonance body. There's something that like mm-hmm. holds that sound and reflects it back. And that's, I think, the power of bearing witness is it's like, you know, we do have that shared humanity and there's something powerful about knowing that there's another human being there. That's just there, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to, to witness what you're feeling and acknowledge it. And then maybe reflect some of that back to you. Um, So, and I think it's a skill because I think it's something that, you know, again, we're not taught to do. And so I love that um, the work that you're doing is creating these spaces and sort of normalizing that, right? Yes. I just got shivers because I'm all about the normalizing. And for one thing, normalizing just facing the music, the truth. Like I, I, not to get too political, but you know, I've really appreciated these congressional hearings because it's truth telling yeah. Um, the you know the January six hearings, and I think America hasn't done a very good job of reckoning with you know our past, and really we we're so quick to want to get to reconciliation without properly doing the truth. Yeah. And um, so yeah, let's normalize the practice of holding space for another and and just holding their truth and and create so that whether it's an interpersonal truth and reconciliation that needs to happen or whether it's a broader societal truth and reconciliation, Mm -hmm. I think we need to do more work on facing the truth. And in terms of normalizing, normalizing not having to have an answer or not having to be the, the fixer or solve the problem, normalizing listening actively and not just to respond and normalizing mindfulness is like a, a practice that you can weave into a, a team meeting or, you know, in the C-suite, why not start your board meeting with a three minute mindful practice? I bet you, you will get a higher <laughs> level of engagement and more like creative thoughtful ideas and less divisiveness if you invite a space for people to calm their nervous system down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And just feel what we feel, right? Without having to explain it or justify it or try to deny it or whatever. It's like we have these, um, you know, we have these powerful social contracts, especially here in the United States, I think, where we go, oh, yeah, that 
that was really, that was difficult thing. Moving on, <laughs> like, you know, here's what we're like there. Oh, there's another mass shooting. And isn't that horrible? And we're going to post about that on Instagram and Facebook and sign a couple of petitions. And then we're going to go back and empty the email inbox and do the grocery shopping. There's, you know, like we have these sort of social contracts around like, well, I don't have the power to do anything about that. And so I'm just going to move on. And so yeah, give, like giving ourselves the space and the time to absorb, like, what does that really feel like? And how is that landing for me? And then noticing how it's landing for other people too. What is what is your perspective on that? How am I going to listen to you about that? Um, and I'm sure that as a person in your position, you know, as an as an attorney, as someone who's done criminal defense stuff, but also in citizen discourse, you've probably witnessed a lot of those sort of social contracts that are maybe not really conducive to. <laughs> well, I I actually so my lens on so I like I feel like we don't have an explicit social contracts. Mm. Okay. Or we're lacking in a social contract. Mm. I think for one, like the, you know, posting, performative posting, which performative, whatever, like protesting is performative. So I don't want to, you know, however you want to, you know, express your outrage or your sadness or your politics, you know, just do it is how, you know, like, let just, but, and I, and I empathize deeply with this, like, then we just move on to the next thing. Cause like, what what are we going to do? How do you sustain the outrage? Um, but what I really feel like the beginning of this journey was kind of like, how do we reset? You know, we've, we've sort of really seen like the fabric of our civil society fraying almost to the point now where it's like we have holes. Yeah. And I think at this point, you know, maybe we throw that piece of cloth out and reset and like rebuild. Mm -hmm. And a lot we've, you know, some of us are further along in our journey of, of like acknowledging that these systems that we know to be our reality Mm-hmm. Are they are deeply flawed, mm-hmm. and I think it's hard to, as a person who wants to like solve the problem, to figure out how to fix a whole system. Like, let's just how do we like remedy the criminal justice system, for example? But <laughs> I think people make up systems, people transform systems, and so if the people can, at an individual level reset on, you know, how, what are the norms that we want in a civil society or what, you know, in a, in a healthy community, what are those norms? Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to, so, you know, we have a compassion contract. We have a social contract at citizen, citizen discourse land. We Mm -hmm. have a, you know, my theory is that here in America, at least, where we are very much a capitalist society, whether we like it or not, we ba- we bind our agreements and words and signatures. We, you know, whether it's a marriage contract or buying a cup of coffee, there is an agreement, there's an exchange, there's a commitment with your name. Mm. And so I took that, you know, like, okay, well, if we're manifesting big you know, real, real estate deals and cute, you know, adopt all of this paper with an agreement in your name. Why can't we do something like that for a social contract for like mm. our, the, the desired, you know, society we want to live in? Yeah. So I'm on team. Let's have a social contract and let's hold ourselves to it. And so mm-hmm. in, in the citizen discourse social contract, we speak about, being respectful, listening to understand, cite your ideas with evidence and experience, um, disagree without being disagreeable, invite wonder. These are aspirational. You know, we endeavor to try to be respectful, but sometimes that's very hard. Um, But, you know, if you sign your name to something that you believe in and you post it and you are reminded of it, might it change how you show up? And that's like my hope is, you know, one person at a time, yeah. you know, ourselves to a higher level of accountability 
And over time, you know, that will have an effect. And, you know, maybe it's that your company adopts a social contract that really reflects your company's values and really make that part of like your culture. Maybe that is a powerful way to reset or, or re, you know, like really reimagine a healthier way of interacting with each other. Yeah. And I think the thing that I love about that and, and the thing that I love about starting, you know, our gatherings with sort of a grounding mindfulness practice is that there's an intentionality around it, right? Like the social contracts I'm talking about, the sort of collective numbing agreements and stuff. I I don't think there's any intentionality around that. Mm -hmm. I think that's reflexive. I think that's like, this makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) I'm running away from it. Right. And, and so I think there's a little bit of intentionality in this sort of performative, like I'm going to sign a petition. I'm going to go to this march. I'm going to, you know, and, and again, like there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's important for us to raise our voices, but I think without that sort of foundational piece that you're talking about of like, here's the, here's the, here's the social contract, which is I'm going to show up as this person, Mm -hmm. right? I'm going to show up with curiosity. I'm going to show up in my own body. I'm going to show up with a willingness to present myself according to my own values, right? I think that's what I love about the way that you talk about social contracts because we, because we don't often, and I don't, you know, I don't know if it's just because we're all so busy or if it's just because there's an inertia of like, this is the way we've always done things. So this is the way we're always going to do things. But there is something really powerful about just taking a minute and showing up with intention mm-hmm. and being like, okay. And it doesn't take very long, right? I mean, it's like one of my practices every morning is I wake up and before my feet even hit the floor, I just put my hand on my heart and I'll just say to myself, what do I need in order to feel fully resourced today? And it's just a way to like start my whole day with intention. Like, do I have four meetings and a doctor's appointment today, I'm going to need a lot more to feel fully resourced than mm-hmm. if it's Saturday and I'm just taking the dogs to the beach. So um, yeah, I think that that's something that we can all benefit from in our relationships can benefit from is that just taking a moment to be like, what, how am I showing up here? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to lead with curiosity or really listen? Um So I very much appreciate that you do that in your work. I think it's super important. Well, you know, Priya Parker, who I think I'm a, I'm, I consider myself a student of, and she's the author of the art of gathering. Mm -hmm. She talks about priming and how important it is to prepare people for what to expect um, to some extent for a gathering. And, you know, if we're gathering for 75 minutes, I don't want to spend too much time every session reassessing our, you know, our group norms. So if you build something, if you build your community or you build your practice where you've defined those and you've gotten buy-in from those early in, and those are like kind of just like gently reinforced, A, you're you're building that psychological safety from the jump. You are building your culture from the jump. So new people who join know that this is, you know, this is how we conduct ourselves in this space. And it establishes expectations. And, you know, in our groups on Mondays and on Thursdays, I really want people to feel comfortable to show up as themselves. And in order to, and and I feel very protective of the group as the facilitator, you know, as one of the facilitators. Um, And so, you know, anytime someone's going to join us as a guest or whatever, I always send them, you know, this is our compassion contract. Here's our group norms because I want them to know what to expect and also want to protect ever the other participants so that as people come and go, you know, there's always going to be, the same the same vibe in the space you know the same level of respect and curiosity and commitment to listening yeah yeah and i love that i love that you sort of drew that out right like you are you you did create the culture of this group from the ground up right i mean when i first started going i didn't know what to expect but it became very evident very quickly that you know like this is how this place operates and it's so much it's so much nicer than you know 
not starting with intentionality and then having to sort of figure out like, oh, shoot, we have to shift now and change the culture or, or you know, undo something. And I can attest to the psychological safety of that group because I have cried yeah. more than once. <laughs> like just people are like, how are you feeling today? I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. in case and here's why. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to cry amongst a group of I would say strangers, but at this point, they are not strangers. No, it is this big. No, it's beautiful. And again, it's not like, you know, we're having these big, you know, like what was your most traumatic event kind of conversation. It's like, you know, like what's your political belief on healthcare reform? Like, right. That is not the type of topic. No, but it's amazing what you can get to know from somebody by, you know, them telling you about, their favorite road trip snack because then all of a sudden it's their favorite road trip and then it was the people they were with and right you so yeah it is it's just that sort of shared humanity and um it's so powerful because yeah we've gotten to know you know the regulars it's like you get to know people and you get to and you just have this affection and this tenderness for them which i think is it's game changing. I mean, you know, there's um, there's a woman who lives in South Africa who she and I email each other all the time. I never would have ever met her because of that. You know, um, there's a woman that came who was also originally from South Africa who lives in Texas who only came a few times in 2021. And she and I are still connected to each other, right? Because of a couple of one-on-one conversations we had during the collective. So it's a big deal. I think it's a really, um, it's a really beautiful way to build relationship and build connection. And I love that you do it with the mindfulness and the intention. So I have one more question for you before we finish up. Um, And for listeners, just don't worry, the show notes will have links to everything. So if you want to join the conversation collectives, or if you want to know about citizen discourse, um, I will have links to all of those things in there um, at the end of the show. And you can come find us on Mondays or Thursdays. So my last question for you is around mindfulness practices. And I would just love it if you would share some of your favorites. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So I'm a walker. I am a very, my, you know, I, I get inspiration. I get ideas. I process things when I'm out. Walking the streets or hiking or you know walking through nature. So to me, I'm walking and just either listening to a podcast or completely unplugging, um, listening to music, but just getting out and exploring and inviting that sense of wonder. I mean, I will be that person who's like smelling the flower, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, getting out and, and walking that is one of my my mindful practices. I do have a meditation practice. It's, you know, I um, I get on my you know I, I sit for about ten minutes, eleven minutes actually right now, mm-hmm. um, and I do it in silence. So I have I use Insight Insight that app Insight, Insight Timer. Thanks. Yeah. 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 So there's a chime at the beginning and a chime at the end, mm-hmm. and I just sit in, in silence. Um, and I'm finally getting back on my yoga mat. I mean, I was not committed to my practice during COVID. I just couldn't do the virtual. I just couldn't commit to it. Um, so that's feeling that's feeling good for me. Um, yoga was sort of my gateway into mindfulness. I started a very like. Um, uh, like a hot yoga practice when I was in law school because I really needed to sweat out my anxiety. Um, and then, you know, my practice evolved and deepened and I ended up doing a teacher training back in 2013 just to deepen in my own practice. Um, and that has helped me. That had been my gateway into just a silent sitting in meditation. Um so it was kind of ironic that I was able to sustain a meditation practice during COVID, but not actually a, a yoga practice. Mm-hmm. But I would say those things, you know, are sort of daily practices for me or not. The yoga is not quite daily, but I'm working on it. Yeah. And I'll just give a plug. A friend just told me about this app um, that I started using. For those of you out there who might be trying to build habits, healthy habits, 
and maybe feeling like that struggle is real. <laughs> um, <laughs> this app is called Everyday. It's very simple, but you can like pick three things you want to do daily. Mm-hmm. And then when you do it, you check the box. And it holds you sort of accountable, like you get a reminder. And then I think over time, it builds out like a visual like graphic that's supposed to be pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I have um, morning pages because I'm really trying to get back into a writing practice, yeah. meditate, and then walk or yoga. Nice. So if I can do those three things every day, then I get to check each of those boxes. Today is day four and I've been pretty consistent so far. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are the things that are like, that's what keeps us sort of in our bodies, right? Is if we can find sort of rhythms or, or rituals that we do every day um, that kind of keep us, grounded you know and and I do think it's interesting I think I think we have to give ourselves grace right because so for me I couldn't meditate during the pandemic lockdown in 2020 but I could go on and do the you know yoga with Adrian on YouTube because there was it was this external thing there was something about like I couldn't hold myself accountable but I could go do that is interesting right (laughs) we're coming at it very differently Yeah. So I do. And I think, you know, when you're, you're like, I I do think that's the other thing I think is that we need to understand is, you know, human beings are biological creatures as much as we like to think about ourselves as machines. We, and we, we are part of nature. And so nature's cycles and rhythms are really natural for us, right? It's, and the more we fight them, the harder it is, right? So my three things that I, that I do my rhythms and rituals shift depending on the time of year. And so like giving ourselves grace to be like, well, I'm not going to beat myself up if I'm not doing that right now. You know, there are certain times of the year, like during the winter, I don't feel the need to move my body as much, right? It's I'm more of a hibernating kind of like I might nap more and we're supposed to do that. Human beings are supposed to do that in the winter. So, well, the other thing I was going to add to that, in terms of mindfulness is I've really over the last two years gotten into Oracle cards. Mm, And so as just as like, you know, a check-in with myself, like a check-in with the goddesses. Um, So I just drew a card for us. Oh, I was going to ask you to do that. Yay. (laughs) I'm so glad you drew a card. Awesome. Yeah. So I drew a card for us and um, I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing this. Yeah. I don't know. The tough one, but but um, it's a goddess of gratitude, and she's gorgeous, and she's surrounded by like butterflies and flowers, and she's wearing this deep red and yellow dress with like flowers in her hair, and she has like long brown glowing hair, and it just exudes the vibe of gratitude. So I will say, just to close out, like Carrie is a gem. Um, I literally learned so much from you over the course of our journey through the Conversation Collective. And you are, you know, you've become a really good friend. And I feel the same way. I'm, I don't, I don't believe in accidents. So there's a reason that we connected with each other. <laughs> there's a reason yeah, we're you've borne witness to me as I figured out where I wanted to move next. And, you know, just as I've navigated boy trouble and friendship challenges and the stress of being an entrepreneur on a path that isn't always clear. So I appreciate you and I want to send you gratitude. Oh, I'm sending it right back at you because you have borne witness for me as well. And, you know, again, that's why I wanted... That's why I love the theme of this podcast is because the relationships that we form with other people, when we can show up as a hundred percent ourselves as you know in all of our excitement and enthusiasm and goofiness and then when we're falling apart i think that's that's the stuff that's the magic so i'm i'm really grateful too thank you so much for spending time with us today and um i'm definitely steering people towards your work because I think it's game changing. And um, so yeah, everybody go find Karen at Citizen Discourse. Come join the Conversation Collective on Monday afternoons or 
Thursday mornings in the US, different time zone, if you're somewhere else. Um, and stay in touch with us. Yeah, Thank let's you. let's start a movement. <laughs> let's do it. Let's weave the movements together. That's yes. really there's lots of good work happening. Yes. Thanks, awesome. Carrie. All right. Thank you, Karen. All right. So one of the things that you talked about doing in this um conversation collective where you partner with the Charter for Compassion is starting um, with a mindful moment. And I know this is something that you do in your other um, in the other work that you do as well. And so I would really love it if you could do that with us right now, just to kind of give us an example of what is a mindful moment? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Great. Um, thank you. I will just jump in then. So as long as you're not driving right now, <laughs> go ahead and close your eyes. Find um, some comfortable position in your seat. Uh, you might consider placing your feet on the on the ground, pressing into the earth, your hands on your thighs, elongating your spine. Imagine your crown lifting towards the sky as you root through your sits bones. Our goal in this mindful moment is to give ourselves a moment to catch up with ourselves, to align with the breath, to steady and calm the nervous system, to find some ease. So on your next inhale, breathe in deeply, filling your belly with breath. Pause and take a slow exhale. Do that again. So breathe in, filling your belly with breath, filling your lungs, and then a nice long exhale. One more time, breathe in, fill your belly. Fill your lungs, your chest, your throat, breathing in new air, new life. And then a nice, slow exhale. Notice where you're holding tension in your body and invite ease. Notice if you're leaning forward, lean back. Relax your jaw. Release that space between your eyebrows. With a practice of mindfulness, we build the capacity to notice more, to heighten our awareness. Take another breath in. And exhale. The breath can be a tool a gateway to presence. Another breath. And exhale. And as we close out this mindful moment, bring your hands to your heart center, pressing your thumbs against your sternum. And check in. What intention do you want to bring to this moment? to the rest of your day. Maybe it's ease, maybe it's presence, maybe the intention to listen generously, whatever resonates with you. And seal it with one more inhale and exhale. And go ahead and open your eyes. Yay. Nice. Thank you. It's amazing the difference that you can feel in your body when you just <laughs> engage with that practice. And it's not like it took very long. So it really doesn't. And I just think if we could normalize doing a mindful moment before staff meetings, before we're expected to, you know, participate 
in a thoughtful way, I think we'll get more empathic connection and better results mm-hmm. overall. So I'm an advocate for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's one of those things where, yeah, we just can sort of center ourselves and then we show up with intention instead of just in this like reacting kind of way. So, yeah, I think it makes a big difference. Thank you for that. And so before we finish, is there anything I want to make sure that there's I'm making space for any last comments or thoughts or things that you want folks to know? It is a wild time to be a human in the world. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot that we don't have any control over. In fact, almost there's pretty much very little we do have control over except for how we respond. Mm -hmm. So I guess as I close out this conversation, I'd leave your listeners with an invitation um, to think about how you, we show up Um, especially when it's hard or especially when, you know, it's easy to not. And by that, I mean, you know, driving, (laughs) for example, or waiting in line or dealing with like customer service Mm -hmm. at the airport. You know, I um, invite your listeners to check out the citizendiscourse.org site and look at our compassion contract and consider signing it. And consider mm-hmm. reading through the seven tenants and putting your hard handwritten signature to the agreement and then gently challenging yourself to see if you, in those challenging moments, can show up a little bit more in alignment with your heart-centered self and with the agreements that other folks around the globe have committed to as well. Mm. And I also would invite your listeners to practice, to find spaces to practice. The Conversation Collective is one such opportunity and we'd love to host you as our guests and see what you think. Or in your own spaces, in your family room or that's, you know, the, the nail salon, whatever it is, wherever you go to find community. Um, see if you can, you know, practice some mindfulness and practice some um, generous listening with the people in your life that you love. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's what it's going to take for us to get through and find meaning in these crazy times is to just figure out how to be with each other in really gentle, positive ways. And I've heard you say this and it really stuck like centering relationships is really something. And when we center the relationships, um, we, we find our empathy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Karen. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. It was wonderful being here. Love what you're doing. Thank you. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of It's Relatable. I'm your host, Carrie O'Driscoll, and you can find links to all the things we talked about on this episode in the show notes on the webpage for the podcast at mindbodyspirit.fm. Please reach out to me with questions, comments, and ideas for the show and download episodes and leave reviews on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you stream podcasts. If you like, subscribe, and follow, You'll be sure to get updated whenever there's a new show to listen to. The music at the beginning and the end of the show is a clip from a song called Get By. It was written by Lauren O'Driscoll, Alexander Parker Lawrence, and Moses Ray Walker. The song is performed by Lorelai and Sam Rydell, and you can find the whole amazing song wherever you stream music. I highly recommend it if you need a mood lifter. I also want to give a shout out to Moses Walker for helping me produce this podcast. He is always and forever making these technical things seem so much more doable for me. And I am grateful for his expertise and advice. Until next time.
Take care, mind your relationships, and be well, everyone. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.